Carl Saba is a Belgian dentist who also happens to be one of the best ultramarathon trail runners in the world. But when Carl started running, he wasn't trying to break records. In fact, he didn't even know that trail running was a sport. For him, it was a hobby that he just stumbled upon. I just always went into the forest and, and if it was a single track, I would enjoy it a lot more than, than uh, running on concrete. So I'm not the type of runner who is very focused on heart rates and interval training and um, track training and things like that. I always go into a forest and then I let my mind wander and, and I let my legs uh, wander. And, and uh, for me, that's the perfect escape. Now just six years since Carl started running in the woods, he holds the fastest known time for running the Pacific Crest Trail. He also holds the record for running the Appalachian Trail, beating his predecessor by four days. Pretty impressive for a full-time dentist. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Most champion-level athletes train their whole lives to break records. But Carl didn't even start running until he was 24 years old. Don't get me wrong, he enjoyed playing soccer, but he was not a record-breaking athlete. When Carl started working full-time as a dentist, he decided to look for an individual sport that he could do anytime, anywhere. When you study to become a dentist, I mean, you're a student, I was studying in a fun town, you go out a lot and, and then you work a bit and, and you learn the dentist profession. Uh, but then actually starting to work full-time as a dentist, I was impressed and, and uh, surprised after three months, like, whoa, this is intense, you know, it's 10 hours a day in a very, very small area. You need to be focused, you need to be delivering high quality. And, and so then I realized, okay, running is perfect for me. I just have to put on shoes and I can go out uh, into the trails and, and have a good time. Um, and that way I could enjoy my dentist profession a lot more and I, I would be a lot more healthy as a, as a person. At, at one day, I remember I said, okay, I'm going to run half a marathon and I did it and I, it felt fine and, and I wanted to do more. So uh, it's always been like that and, and uh, I've kept on increasing the distances. And, and the first time I ran 70 kilometers, the day after I was ready to do it again. And, and I didn't know that that was something that I had in me. Um, that's how I evolved into extremely long distances and, and I'm still uh, enjoying those uh, the most. 70 kilometers is about 44 miles. That's pretty freaking far to run. What's even more remarkable is that Carl didn't feel sore or tired afterwards. When he realized he could run these super long distances, it dawned on him that he could go after an old dream. He could finally do the entire Pacific Crest Trail, also known as the PCT. So how did you decide to run the Pacific Crest Trail? So I think it's now maybe about 15 years ago that I had a free summer uh, at university. So when you pass all your exams in Belgium, you get uh, three months holiday. And I think it was between my second and my third year at university uh, that I signed up for a volunteering project in the United States in the national parks uh, in the Southwest. 
So we were based in Flagstaff, Arizona, and then we were sent out to the Grand Canyon, uh, to Yosemite National Park to work on the trails. And every night after a day of working, we had campfires and, and there were a lot of young volunteers and hikers. And I think at least every night at one point, the conversation got to the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. So I knew as a hiker and as a lover of nature that that would be the most incredible experience ever to to hike such a long trail because it doesn't exist in Europe and, and it's such a unique thing that you can hike over 2000 miles on a single track just in nature and, and just setting up your tent. Uh, but then, as you said, to hike the PCT, it's anywhere between three and, and six months to do it. Um, and at that time, I already started working as a dentist, so I didn't have the time anymore to, to take that amount of time off. And I knew, okay, I desperately want to do the Pacific Crest Trail because it's so beautiful, it's so varied and, and it's so incredible. But I don't want to wait 40 years until I'm finished working as a dentist. And then I started discovering ultra running and I discovered that I was uh, loving that and, and I was good at it. So then I, I decided, okay, what if I could run the PCT? Then I googled, is there a record for it? And then in my naive uh, stupidity, I thought <laughs> it was achievable. Okay, so many questions. So like, <laughs> let's just go back. How, how did you train for that first long, you know, PCT attempt? I mean, I realized you did other runs to prepare for this one. Yeah. So from the beginning, I realized my body was good at doing a very long distance at a slow pace. So you said you're running about 11 minutes a mile, but that's like Something uphill. Like that. That's that's still pretty fast for how many miles a day? Yeah, but during during a record attempt, it would be slower. Uh, but before do, doing the PCT, I realized, okay, if I run 60, 70 kilometers at an easy pace, I can do it again the day after. So actually at the time where I decided to go for the PCT, my longest run was uh, 67 kilometers. But I felt so good the day after that run that I decided, okay, I can do this day after day and I will go for the PCT. And then when I decided, okay, I'm going to do this, I signed up for uh, my first 100K, my first 100 miler. And then uh, I did a big race called the Marathon de Sable, uh, which is a multi-stage uh, race in the desert of Morocco. But that was all within one year. Uh, so I upscaled extremely fast to be ready for the PCT. That's incredible. Okay. So you, so instead of just like doing running, you, you actually just entered races, which is actually really smart because that sets you up for real life. Yeah, it does. Yeah. After 52 consecutive days of running double marathons, Carl beat the record for the fastest known time to complete the PCT in 2016. He beat the previous record holder by 10 hours. There are two types of records for the PCT. Unsupported, where the racer manages their own food and supplies, and supported, where the racer gets help from others. Carl did the supported version. His good friend and brother-in-law, Joe Bibuik, went with Carl and brought him sleeping supplies and food every day on the trail. You'll also hear Carl refer to the AT, the Appalachian Trail, which he ran in 2018. How do you do this? Do you start in the dark? What's an average day like? Like, just take me through a full 50 miles on the trail and how long a full 50 miles takes. Yeah, we would wake up in the morning at, I think, 4 or 5 a.m., so before sunrise. 
uh, and then I would start running. And then my friend, Joe, I would always sleep in a tent. So he would pack up the tent, hike to the car, drive around the car to the next place, hike in because the PCT isn't crossed by that many roads. So he always had to hike in towards me. And then he could either, if it was possible, uh, resupply me during the day and, and give me some food and some extra water. And then at night he could set up the tent uh, and make sure it was ready by the time I got back to him. Uh, and then we would sleep in a tent uh, and, and repeat it the day after. And so usually my days were anywhere between uh, 14 and 24 hours every day. Wow, that's wild. And, and then when you camped, did you have like a nice tent and a nice like sleeping pad or yeah, was that, it pretty minimalistic? Oh, yeah. you did. So, okay. So Joe hiked in with, with a big backpack at the PCT, often with, with water because we couldn't always camp near a, a water source. And then he had two sleeping pads, two sleeping bags. Uh, and then he could set up one tent, blow up the mattresses and, and set up camp. And then when I would arrive, I would have uh, a dinner and, and immediately go to bed and, and sleep. Wow. What did, did you ever have a shower? Not often. During the PCT, I remember I had uh, three showers during those 52 days. Um, it was a very good feeling to have a shower. <laughs> I bet. I read that you, when you ate, you actually ate running uphill. Is that true? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because then you are hiking and it's easier to, to digest. So every uphill I was eating, eating. And then on the downhill you run more, so it's harder to eat. So what are you carrying for food in your pack that you're eating? Just bars and... It had to be as, as varied as possible because if you have candy, you want potato chips. If you have potato chips, you want candy. Uh, so I had sweets, I had salty things, I had soda, I had... Uh, just regular sandwiches, uh, a big variation. So that all the time I had at least something that I was willing to eat because at, during such a record attempt, I was at anywhere between eight and 12,000 calories a day. So you have to eat all the time. So after three weeks, you don't want to eat anything anymore. And then you need as much different things as possible in your backpack. So you at, at least something you can still digest and, and eat. Wow. So you're just eating pretty much the whole time, every hour, yeah, yeah, as yeah. much as possible. And then I remember um, during the PCT, like Joe put like a bunch of snacks next to my pillow because I would wake up sometimes at night from my muscles cramping up. And then he said, oh, while well, you're cramping up anyway, have some snacks and eat. <laughs> so you're better recovered uh, on the next day. So it's just eating, eating all the time. Joe is so smart. What kind of wild animals did you see out there? Um, on the PCT, a lot of snakes, um, and then some bears as well, black bears. What would you do? I would make a lot of noise and, and scare them away. It was, um, a very welcome addition to that whole experience because being out on these trails for such a long time, sometimes people or I mean, it's a, a very small minority of, of hikers that are arguing that it's a waste to run a beautiful trail like the AT. Uh, and and uh, that you can't enjoy it because you're going too fast. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, not many people are saying that, but on the other hand, because I'm having friends uh, supporting me, I never had to leave the trail. So I was really becoming part of wildlife and then having those bear encounters and, and hearing the animals, I, I could really become part of, of nature as well. And, and that was my feeling and... and that is why I enjoy these long trails so much because I could hear better. I, I could smell better as well. Like I could 
smell hikers before I saw them, just because your senses get stronger and and yeah, uh, just smelling a, a day hiker because they had deodorant on and and you feel like uh, you you smell it because it's not it's out of place in nature and and um, to me that was such a beautiful experience uh, that maybe while hiking the trail would have been more difficult to accomplish because you have to hitchhike out resupply in towns when you're in town yeah you decide to have a party with with fellow hikers and for me it was a very wild experience because during those 52 days and i didn't leave the trail at any time so for me that was a, a very special experience that is so cool and so you just camped on the trail yeah literally like just right off the side of the trail did did you run into people a lot then um, the first three weeks I didn't, at least not at the PCT because everybody had left the desert already because in June, in June in the desert, it's not the, the best time to be there. Uh, so at first I didn't see any people uh, and then I was catching up with the hikers and then it was fun to, to be camping with, with the hikers. But mentally it was sometimes hard as well because going for the record, I had to go into the night quite often to stay on, on record pace. And then I could see the campfires from the hikers and they were singing songs. And, and I was like, oh, now I want to be there and, and not not being at midnight, uh, still still running and, and not knowing when I'm going to be able to sleep. So, uh, But it was nice to, to connect with the true hikers and, and often they knew that I was um, doing it and, and were some, some fun conversations as well. And then it was also fun... Yeah, that they could help out when I was having difficult times. Like I remember uh, at one point in, in Washington state, because of circumstances, Joe and I had to go uh, through the night because Joe couldn't reach me um, or couldn't reach the, the trail. Um, so we had to take the next trail uh, to the PCT, which was a lot more north than, than the one that he was supposed to take. Uh, so we had to go through the night and... Uh, we met up at, at 9 a.m. after running more than 100 kilometers. And then I remember that day where I slept one hour and, and carried on running again for the next day to stay on, on record pace that uh, four through hikers ran with me for like three or four hours with their backpacks just to keep me company and, oh, and to talk. So cool. and, and I remember, yeah, it was my hardest day, but because of those guys, I could carry on and, and be happy again. And, and it was nice to talk to them. And So how did you and Joe keep in touch with each other? Was that hard? Yeah, often there wasn't any cell phone service. Um, during the PCT, we did buy or, or rent uh, satellite phones because it was just too dangerous to do without. Um, but basically, yeah, we would know, okay, the next meetup is in 20 miles. And then we would have a very wide range of when I might make it there. I could have a good day and, and be there fast and, and I could have a bad day or very rough terrain and then it would take many hours but we never had it um, that I was so late that, that Joe started getting worried or, or he would just wait and, and have confidence that I would show up eventually and, and maybe he would start hiking towards me or, or ask hikers did you see Carl or something like that. Carl also ran the PCT and the AT with a GPS tracker so that friends and family could see where he was. When we come back, Carl explains what happened to his feet after running 2,650 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail and how he mentally prepares for 1,000-mile ultras.
Born in the Swiss Alps, the all-new Cloud Ultra Trail running shoe from On is designed to conquer epic mountain mileage in quick bursts over rocky routes and gravel paths. In this shoe, no distance is off limits. The Cloud Ultra is equipped with a two-layer mesh made from 100% recycled polyester for maximum breathability and durability. It also has two layers of cloud tech cushioning to create extra soft landings, and it features mission grip to deliver unbeatable traction on any surface with a closed outsole to help you glide over mixed terrain. Plus, the innovative flip release tool makes finding a more comfortable fit on long runs as easy as flicking a switch to expand the laces. Ultra cushioned, ultra comfortable, ultra versatile, switch on, go ultra, exclusively available at REI stores and REI.com. You can imagine that running thousands of miles took a toll on Carl's body. Luckily, he didn't suffer any major injuries, but like many runners who do long journeys like this, his feet got destroyed. Part of his feet turned black. They were cracked and wrinkly. He lost toenails. But more than anything, he finished running the PCT in August, and he couldn't feel his feet again until Christmas. Talk to us about what your feet look like, what condition your body is in, and like what happens to you after you know 40 or 50 days of 50 miles a day running. Mm-hmm. So... Because I've been doing this for five years now, I'm an expert in feet care and I know everything about how to take care of your feet. For example, during the PCT, I was a very inexperienced ultra runner. So by four weeks, I was having yeah a lot of callus on my feet. I have I had blisters underneath that callus. I couldn't reach the blisters because of the callus and I couldn't pop them. So when I had a blister, it would hurt for three days before... It, it would actually pop and, and then eventually they started yeah, hurting so much that uh, sometimes in the morning I needed to take a painkiller to get into my shoes again. And, and the first mile I was really stumbling. So by the time I got back home from the PCT, I couldn't feel my feet anymore. So I think the, the endings of the nerve die because of the constant pressure in, in shoes and, and um, not being able to shower and to clean, clean them properly until December where I could get the feeling back again. And, and uh, luckily there was no permanent damage. But yeah, after experiencing that myself, um, I Googled it, of course, because I was worried it would be permanent. Um, but it's it's something that's common with expeditions like that, also in, in polar expeditions. And they call them Christmas feed because after the expedition, by the time it's Christmas, you, you feel your feet again. So <laughs> wow. What is good feet care? Like, what does that look like? Uh, so during the AT, we had this whole routine of, of taking care of my feet. Um, so the most important thing is uh, washing them. At least once a day, I would clean them. Uh, sometimes during the day as well, I would get rid of all the dirt. Um, then I would uh, use a lot of powder to, to keep them dry enough. Um, then before I went to bed, some cream. Then I would treat my callus. To, so it's there's a little bit of callus, but not too much. Um then I had a different cream in the morning to treat my uh, feet and, and yeah, a whole routine, uh, three pairs of socks every day. Three pairs changing. You changed yeah, your yeah, socks three times socks. a day. Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, your socks are so dirty, full of gravel and those, 
that dirt can can start chafing by the end of the day you have a blister and you want to avoid it uh, your feet are really your most important uh, thing during such a record attempt and how many shoes and socks did you go through um during the pct uh i didn't have enough socks at all uh so i think over there i only had four or five pairs of socks and then i learned my lesson and during the 80 i had like 40 pairs of socks and during <laughs> during the day I was replacing socks to have yeah fresh socks all the time and then I was running with I think 10 pairs of, of shoes and and during the PCT I, I only had uh, five or six pairs of, uh, of shoes you stayed injury free which is really rare for that mm-hmm. long how do you stay injury free do you stretch do you do yoga do um, ice well I think for my, for me, the pers- the biggest advantage has been that my friend Joe, um, who supported me during the PCT and the AT, is a physiotherapist. So, whenever I could feel the smallest injury coming up, he'd say, "Okay, pay attention to your running technique and and try this," and then he would immediately treat something. So instead of letting small issues become big issues, uh, we could treat it r- immediately. Um, and then also, I think to me, it feels like the most natural way of, of running. Um, there's a very famous book called Born to Run. Um, oh, Chris I, McDougall. He's yeah, been on the show. Yeah. He's okay. great. Yeah. 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 So to me, he, that explains why I'm into ultra running. It's the most natural way of running. Um, you run slow, but you run in a natural way on trails, really long distances, but at a lower intensity, like... Of course, with, with the things that I'm doing, a lot of people say, hey, you're wasting your body and by the time you get 40, your knees will be done. But it doesn't feel like that at all. It, I feel personally I don't get injured at all because you're hiking uphill, you're running the flats, the downhills. Uh, every step is different because of the terrain. Your foot is going to be tilted left, right, forward, backwards. During my training as well, when I'm running more on concrete and and trying to increase the pace, then I get injured. But if I'm running in the mountains, 80, 90, 100 kilometers a day, I don't get injured because I think it's the most natural way of of running. That's so cool. Does Joe give you like exercises for prehab and rehab yeah, to do? Yeah, sure. yeah he does. So you do, yeah. you actually follow them too? Yeah, yeah. I, I do my best because I know he's he's like... Yeah, he's he's working with with runners a lot, and and he knows uh, what's going on, and and he's a very complete physiotherapist. Like, if a knee would start giving issues, he wouldn't only look at the knee, but he would see my hip is tilted, and then he would treat my yeah, something else to get the knee issue. It's always uh, alignment. Like once yeah, you're out yeah. of line, everything yeah. else starts hurting. So you and your your friend, Joe, your brother-in-law, th- you always seem to be really positive. Mm-hmm. Is this like a Belgian thing? Are you just naturally positive? We were two guys at, at a place they, they love, which is the outdoors. And, and it was an adventure. And, and for sure, we had a, a very hard time. But at every moment, we would be happy that we were there. And even if it was hard and we didn't sleep, yeah, you could enjoy the scenery you would have a nice sunrise a nice sunset you would have wildlife encounters so even though it, it was very hard and painful at times because my feet were by the time i was running for four weeks they were uh, totally wasted we could stay positive because okay we signed up for it voluntarily and and we also knew 
every single moment that it's a luxury situation. We are healthy young guys being able to do what we want. We were on an adventure in nature. So we didn't feel like we had the right to be negative. So for us, it, it came natural, but it was the most important factor of being able to to finish and to set the record. The fact that we were so positive and our interaction as well. I mean, being so tired and doing su such long days, I could become maybe very tired and, and negative, but then Joe would be there to cheer me up and say, hey, Carl, just remember where you are running and, and what you are actually accomplishing. And, and we would cheer each other up. But Joe wasn't the only help you had on the trail, right? I remember on the Appalachian Trail, we were always starting at... 3.30 or at, at 4 a.m. at the latest in the morning. Uh, and then the, the people living around the trail um, that were following the record attempt knew about it. And so often at quarter to four, a local runner would be there with their hat torches ready, giving snacks and then saying, okay, I'm, I can run two miles with you before I have to go to work uh, later today. Uh, so those are the yeah, moments that you really appreciate being part of the running community as well as the as the hiking community. So a lot of uh, fun moments. Thanks to Joe and the locals who ran with him, Carl crushed the Appalachian Trail record in 2018. He beat the previous record by four days, running an average of 53 miles a day for 41 straight days. Because of his record-breaking success, Carl was inducted into an even more elite running community, he was invited to run the Barkley Marathons. The Barkleys were a different story from Carl's previous record-setting runs. After only four days, he decided it was unfinishable. So you've done, you know, the AT, the PCT, all these other ultras, and we get to the Barkley Marathons, which if people don't know, maybe you could just really quickly explain what those are and Obviously, a movie recently just came out with you about you training for the Barkley Marathons and then competing in it one year. Yeah. So in short, the Barkley Marathons is a combination of ultramarathon and social experiment. experiment. Um, so basically, the setup is let's create a race that's barely possible to finish and see what happens. So... In the course of 35 years, only 15 people managed to finish the Barkley Marathons because it's so hard. You need to do five loops in very difficult circumstances with a lot of elevation change. The course is not marked. Um, the weather is always very bad. And yeah, the concept of the race is let's create it so that it's barely possible to finish. And you're also doing like a scavenger hunt when you're doing the Barkley, <laughs> yeah, right? So you you're like trying yeah. to find things using a map, but it's a topographic yeah. map and you have yeah, a compass. Yeah, map and compass. And to prove that you've followed the exact course, um, there are 14 books that you have to find. And out of every book, you have to tear uh, a page which corresponds to your bib number. Uh, and then after the loop, you have 14 pages and then you've proven that you've done the correct uh, loop. That is so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> is there a safety measure though? Because it looked like you could no. have gotten really injured if you kept going. No. Um, well, you, you're you not allowed any electronic devices. So um, the organizer of the race expects self-extraction. So if you get injured, you need to get back to camp yourself. So in the past, people with, with broken kneecaps and, and um, broken shoulders had to hike back to camp for multiple hours uh, uh, because nobody knew where they were and, and they had to get back to camp. So, 
the organizer of the race yeah really enjoys seeing what happens when when people set out and and face their limits and and uh, fail and and see their reaction to their failure so for me it was a very interesting concept as well because yeah i was very successful during my record attempts i was always ahead of schedule and everything was going great and i realized there's a lot of interesting things going on when you face your own limits physically and mentally and during the PCT and the AT, it takes two, three, four weeks to get to your limit and then you go on and on. But during something as hard as the Barkley Marathons, after 24 hours, you're in the mental state of two weeks of PCT, for example. So I knew it would be very interesting to participate in a race like that. And you still, I mean, you, you still are the person who went the farthest in 2019 out of yeah, anybody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nobody finished and I didn't finish. Um, but I made it uh, until the fourth loop of, of five loops that you need to finish the race. Uh, but then I also yeah, got very sleep deprived and, and uh, couldn't carry on anymore and, and I had to quit. What did you learn from this race that you're looking to apply for the next one? What is usually my mindset for doing something is, okay, I'm doing it and I'm not going to try it. I'm doing it no matter what. And during my first Barkley, you go to the Barclay to experience failure, but for me, I didn't fail because I didn't finish. I failed because during the fourth loop, I thought it was not possible anymore to finish and I decided to quit. So when I'm going back, more than the last time, I will say, okay, I'm carrying on no matter what. And even if if I run out of time, I'm going to carry on and, and see where I end up. Uh, because now I had the opportunity to continue and I decided to turn back to camp myself, which was a failure to me. And, and um, next time I will be more set on not quitting and, and finishing and doing everything possible to to make it to the finish line. I think what's also so interesting is this isn't your full-time job. So one, mm-hmm. that takes a little bit of pressure off, but also, I mean, you beat people's times who are just professional runners and that's mm-hmm. all they do. It's incredible. And you're yeah. very humble about it. <laughs> yeah. The the thing is, when you're a professional athlete, I mean, the longer the adventure is, the more room there is for the mental strength that is going to be the deciding factor of whether you will be doing great or not. Uh, I mean, if you're competing with professionals in a hundred mile distance, the professionals are always going to win because they have being able to train more and and train on on the right terrain but if you're doing something that's 3000 to 4000 kilometers okay you have your part of training but then after 2 weeks what you've trained doesn't matter anymore it matters if you are mentally strong and if you like where you are and and if you are positive and and you want to keep pushing it so that is why I'm able to compete with with the pros because I just simply love what I'm doing Every moment out on such a record attempt, I feel grateful that I'm there and and, uh, I'm in such a great place mentally that I am able to push it really hard during the day and and day after day. And and I think that's the reason why I can be faster than than people who are uh, professional runners. I mean, your energy is contagious. I feel like going and running 20 <laughs> miles right now, which is wild. So do you, do you have a mantra that you say to yourself when things get tough? Because there are times where, you know, being positive is a little bit more challenging than other times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what has been a, 
a lifesaver or a adventure saver during the things that I've done was just a really good analysis of what I'm going for before setting off. Like be very careful in picking your ideas and, and your plans and your adventures. I mean, I decided to run the PCT because being outdoors and, and running on single track is my biggest passion. When I was ready to do the PCT, I was accepting the fact that for the next 52 days, it will be hard and, and there will be a lot on coming at me and, and I will have to cope with it and, and react to it. But whatever comes at me, I'm going to do it. And in ultra running, that's a very important mindset because if you have constant self-doubt and, and the constant opportunity to quit at one point, it's going to be mentally so challenging and, and it, it's a bug that goes on in your mind day after day. And, and I think if I would have accepted that during the PCT after three weeks, it would have been too hard and I would have said, okay, it's impossible to continue. But before setting off on the PCT, I said, okay, I'm doing this no matter what. If I need to run through the night to stay on record pace, I'm doing it. And removing that question of can I quit or not is, is such a, a life changer in an ultra marathon or in a speed record attempt because it's so energy draining to be doubting. Should I continue? Should I not continue? Am I? So you just, that wasn't even an option. Quitting was just no, not an no, option. No, it wasn't an awesome. option. No. I love that. And it sounds like this is the same thing that you do on the Appalachian Trail, on the Barkley Marathons, everything. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, and life in general as well. I mean, before ultra running, I would have an ID and, and go for it and, and try it. And then at the first back sets, I would quit and, and think, okay, it's not possible. But now when I'm doing something, whether it's starting a new company or something like that. I'm, before doing it, I decide, okay, what are the reasons that I can quit? And if those aren't met, I'm going to carry on and, and continue until, I'm, until I've achieved what I set out for. When the pandemic ends and Carl's allowed to travel again, he's planning on running the entire length of New Zealand on the Te Araroa Trail. He's also planning on participating again in the Barkley Marathons in Tennessee. If you want to learn more about Carl's journey to the Barkleys in 2019, I highly recommend his movie. It's called Out There. You can find it on YouTube or Carl's website, carlsaba.com. That's K-A-R-E-L-S-A-B-B-E. If you want to keep up with Carl's training and races, check out his Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Carl Saba. Again, that's at K-A-R-E-L-S-A-B-B-E. -B -B -E. Thank you so much to Carl for coming on the show. I am so amazed and inspired by you, and I am running so much more because of you. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, I'm Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Sylvia Thomas, and produced by Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. <laughs>